Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Almost Wharf online, sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, the best in new inventory, all with great warranties, which means a lot. Let's face it. It does ease up the buying experience. Now you're already paying enough, but, you know, let's face it, the warranty helps out a lot. And fabulous pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And a great service department that just does a great job. Take care of the life of the vehicle. I don't care if it's routine or it's complicated. They can handle it. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Lady Line basketball program getting three transfers. Tay Valaday from Virginia, then by way of Marquette. Grace Hall by way of LSU and Wabash. And uh, Kylie Lavelle out of Drexel. So there you go. Those are the three that they announced today on the women's basketball side. Time now for, as we prepare you now, to strap yourselves in for the play-by-play call of the day, followed by a complaint. And here's Young. Backtracks. Five to two. Young. Let's it go. They bring Capella in to guard the ball. Smart. Point five to go. Tatum lets it go. And that's it. How about the Atlanta Hawks? Gus Johnson with the call last night. Trey Young about a 30-footer. And the Celtics made mistakes. I mean, down the stretch, you know, Jason Tatum got a technical foul for complaining. Marcus Smart tried to gamble for a steal at midcourt, got called for a foul, which, of course, ended up in, you know, and that's three points right there, two free throws for one and then one on the technical. And then Young hits a 30-foot shot where you sit back and go, well, that's a bad shot. And, of course, you know, he nailed it. (laughs) And your complaint. Correct. Not about the play, but about the call. And once again, color analysts being dumb – and taking over the play-by-play man in a big moment. Gus Johnson had a perfect call, but Greg Anthony, who should know better? He's done games before. He's done studio work. He should know better. Goes in there and is is chanting like a banshee when Trey Young hits that shot. I mean, come on. Have a little respect for Gus Johnson trying to make the finish off the call. Yeah, I know. Like, enough. You plus, plus you're on national TV. It's a little different if you're on Hawks TV or Hawks Radio. It's a little different. I still, th- I still think you'll find a, l- a slight bit distasteful, but you especially can't do it on national TV. Uh, and that just drives me up a wall. Let the play-by-play guy finish. Let the moment breathe. 
then jump in and you can say what you have to say. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's just it was kind of a whoa, like a wow moment. Oh, no question. I mean, that's one thing about doing the job. You are doing it in real time, which brings with it real time emotions. I mean, I do understand what you're saying. I do. I I understand it. But you know, but I'll I'll give you an example. Um, basketball. When Cam Winter grabbed the rebound and laid it in to beat Maryland, right? I called the play, and and it goes in, and Dick and I at a, just about the same time said at the buzzer. Now, do you think I'm bothered as the play-by-play guy? He did that. No, it doesn't bother me. I had these two guys watching a basketball game together, and, you know, we both blurted it out at the same time, and I think it just showed the emotion of the moment. I thought it was no offense, at least on our part. I thought it was kind of cool we both did that at the same time. Yeah, I I know what you're saying, Matt. I do understand what you're saying, so it's not like I don't, because I do. Um, I'll never forget Joe Nuxall climbing all over Marty Brenneman when Marty Brenneman called Pete Rose's 4,192nd hit to go past Ty Cobb. And, and and Marty, who's had many in his long and distinguished career, he's since retired, but as long as distinguished career, he's had some phenomenal calls. And he was in the process of making a great call, and Nuxall kind of ruined it in some way. Um, but uh, to be honest, the, the the analysts I work with who are the best, and that's why I'm I'm always trying to make sure like I don't I don't want to talk so much. You know, I always tell I've told both of them over the years talk as much as you want because I think the audience wants to hear them. I think that I think Jack and Dick are the two most important people in the broadcast. I really do because I think they're the difference maker between a good broadcast and a great broadcast because they're both so good at their jobs. I think people want to hear what they have to say and why they're saying it. So when you get to a moment like that, right, and, and emotion takes over, personally, this is personally, it doesn't bother me. But I do understand what you're saying. It's not that I don't understand what you're saying because I do. And I've been guilty of doing stuff like that before, like in my younger days. But I've I've tried to train myself a little bit to make sure I respect who I'm working with first before I, yeah, jump in there. You know, because I've I've been on the other side too, where I'm in the middle of the call, somebody jumps in, and then it kind of throws me off, and then it kind of ruins the the play call a little bit. Okay. Okay. In fact, I think. And maybe you'll have to go back and look at this, but I think Nate Burleson did that to Noah Eagle when the Vikings came back to beat the Colts. Okay. Yeah, I listened to that one on the radio, so I don't know. I thought I thought he got in the way of Noah Eagle making the call, but then I think he also threw him off, too. Okay. All right. Because that was Noah Eagle's first big spot. 
doing the Saturday NFL game on NFL Network. Okay. Um, yeah, that one. Like I remember listening to the game on the radio because I was traveling around that day, so I did not hear the TV broadcast. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. One thing you are taught to do in TV, and yeah, I've done enough TV in my my career that I can speak to it, is that when you get to the big moment and it happens, they would prefer producer and director that you, quote, lay out and let the pictures then take over with what's going on out there. I'm just telling you that, you know, that's what most, I don't care whether it's BTN or ESPN or CBS, that is what they would prefer. To then lay out, be silent, let the pictures take over. Shot of Trey Young, shot of a despondent Jason Tatum, shot of a despondent fan, shot of Trey Young's parents in the in the seats, you know, things like that. That's what that's what they want you to do. You know, Jim Nance has always been great at that. As an example, so I, I understand. I think it just all depends on who it is. Like I said, when um, and the same thing, same thing. Um, Cam Winter hit a three to beat Northwestern in overtime. Well, you know, I called it in the corner for three to win. Good, and then. Dick jumped in and said Cam Winner. Well, good. I'm glad Dick jumped in and said Cam Winner. You want to know why? Because Micah moved to his left on the play, and when he did, he was right in front of me, and I could only see the ball coming out of Micah's head. Right, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, absolutely. I mean, that, that'd be one right. instance. No question. Right. Right. And so, like, and he goes, Cam Winner, like, like, thank goodness he said it because of the two of us, and there are two of us there. He's the one that could see it. He could see who shot it. I mean, I had the shot and the whole thing, but not who shot it. I had Mahaffey, I had Funk, because those the two were right in front of me. And then when he swung it to the corner, he swung it to the spot where Micah was standing right in front of me because we were next to the bench. And Dick, because of he was one seat over, could see it. So I, I you know, I mean, I get where you're coming from. I understand it. Uh, it's not like I don't, because I do. Um, me, I just feel like it's two guys watching football together, and I've got the best guy in the world next to me watching football and Jack Ham that I want to listen to, just like the fans want to listen to. When I'm doing basketball, I've got the best guy next to me doing basketball and Dick Girardi that the fans want to listen to and I want to listen to. So... Uh, and maybe I have that approach to it because of the two guys I do work with that, to me, are so good at what they do. And Dad always told me, desire to work with people who make you better. Well, no matter what you think of me, those two guys make me better. Uh, next half hour, I know we're going to talk about free agent possibilities for Penn State. And we're going to talk about 
um, some of the issues they're dealing with with the college football playoff because they've been meeting in Dallas. Uh, you see, the Commanders decided not to pick up Chase Young's option for a fifth year. Very interesting. But you know what? He's had some injury issues, so I kind of get what they're trying to do, but it's still a risk. But it's very well, interesting. He, ha- he hasn't hardly played. Yeah. Uh, and that's, um, you know, and you look at everybody's going to sit there and say, well, what if he has a great season? Yeah, I understand. I mean, there's going to be a risk in anything you do. But if they were to re-sign Young, it's a $17.45 million option. Now, they did pick up the fifth-year option a year ago on Montez Sweat. So now you're sitting there with the possibility that at the end of the 2023 season, you're going to lose both Sweat and Young if they're both having great years. But the problem for Young is this. It is exactly what you said. It's been injuries. And you're talking about a guy that played in just three games last season, Five tackles on a pass deflection. Rookie season, he did fine. He had seven and a half sacks right out of the gate. Not bad. Uh, But, you know, you're talking about somebody who's had a tear of the ACL. Then the surgery that, you know, to address the torn ACL, uh, the surgeons had to graft part of his healthy left patella tendon to repair the injured knee. And so he only had a sack and a half in nine games in 2021. And last year he had five tackles. He just has not been playing. And let's face it, you're sitting there. These are the tough decisions management has to make. And you're looking at 17.45, and you're asking yourself, is he going to play? And if he does play, is he going to play to the level we think he can? And I think what they're rolling the dice on is they're saying, look, you know, he'll play this season. We'll find out for ourselves, but we're not going to commit to that extra season because we're just not sure. I mean, essentially, he hasn't done anything for two years, Right? And that is, that's a problem. Yeah, sure, he's the second overall pick in the 2020 draft. But that fifth-year option, 17.45, man, that's a tough one to sit there and absorb. Where you're looking around saying, I'm not so sure about this. And I don't think there's anything else they can do about it. I mean, if I'm sitting in the Washington front office, all right, don't don't start, you know. I'm only saying hypothetically. <laughs> I wouldn't, I'm not going to work for Dan Snyder. Um, but if I'm sitting there and, I, and I'm, I'm looking at Dan Snyder, and I'm saying, I can't justify paying him seven four or five because I just don't know what we have here. You just don't know.
We will come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Mm-hmm. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections. Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 630 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury. And Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the... Mm. Out of auto repair. And obviously, Joe has got a great track record so far of drafting some incredible players. Uh, but it takes a system. And obviously, Robert has the... Uh, the right sauce, so I'm excited about getting to work with him and Brick and uh, Mark Kwan, former teammate of mine, and uh, it's a great staff. But, you know, I'm an, old, I'm an old guy, so I want to be a part of a team that can win it all, and I believe that this is uh, a place we can get that done. Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. I have no idea who that is. Well, that was Rogers today with the press conference with the Jets. Oh, okay. That's fine. All right. Uh, yeah, he gets dealt. And look, he gets you know, a new lease on life. New team, fresh start. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, the uh, sunset of his career, but let's see what he can do with it. Uh, then there's the situation in Colorado. Uh, David Eubin of The Athletic wrote a great piece about this uh, today. And they've had, what, 46 guys into the transfer portal since Deion Sanders got there. 23 of them have entered the transfer portal Monday and Tuesday after their big spring game on Saturday. He tells the story of Travis Gray, a 6'8", 320-pound offensive lineman. And he was eating at Olive Garden, a lunch. He was scheduled to meet Deion Sanders at 3 o'clock. Phone buzz. And he got a message from his offensive line coach, Bill O'Boyle. Um, the meeting had been moved up a half hour, so Gray hustles over to the football building. And Gray says, he's walking in with me, and Coach O'Boyle says, hey, buddy, you're going to get cut today. I'm sorry to tell you this. I didn't want you to hear it from Coach Prime. I wanted you to hear it from my mouth. I didn't want, I didn't want to cut you, but we had to cut off five offensive linemen, and you were the last one. Gray walked into Sanders' office, head down, looked up. He says, I was like, oh, God, I saw that mean mug in his face. He told me, you're six foot eight, 320 pounds. I know in my heart of hearts a school is going to pick you up in the portal when you transfer. Make your weaknesses your strengths and keep progressing. I hope you have a great future, but it won't be at the University of Colorado. I'm not going to sit here and be naive that, you know, that it doesn't happen. But 
it's college football. I don't know. Cutting guys? Well, I did. I know there are some four-year scholarships out there. Everything else is on a renewed on a year-by-year basis. I got it. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, basketball, um, I already, you know, uh, Puff Johnson is going to transfer to Penn State. His brother Cam plays for the Nets. Uh, 6'8", played in North Carolina, played in the national championship game a year ago. He is the latest to jump in along with Ace Baldwin, Nick Kern, and Zach Hicks. It's a good pickup. He can shoot the ball at 6'8". Good game. And uh, played high school basketball in the western part of the state at Moon Area High School. Brother Cam, of course, went to Pitt, then transferred to North Carolina. Puff then went to North Carolina. If you're wondering why, why is Donovan Johnson called Puff? His mother nicknamed him that because he loved Cocoa Puffs. That's the reason why. Ah. I'm glad that's the reason, because I was thinking about something else, which no, wouldn't be too good. No, I know good. everybody thinks that, but that is the reason. So All right. that's the reason. Good to clear that up. And his mom likes to na- nickname the kids. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai. Terrific new vehicles, great warranties. And extended warranties. Pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. Eases the buying experience. They go over each car. And the service department is second to none. Great technicians that take care of the life of the vehicle. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 at 15. Almost Wharf online. SunburyMotors.com. Any... uh, other complaints before we move on? Uh, no, I'm just finishing up uh, vomiting from the Aaron Rodgers press conference. I'm just cleaning up now. Jeez. It's a tough room. Wow. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's continue now with our our look at Penn State with the draft heading into the weekend. And that, of course, brings us to the free agents. We've talked about the guys that we think will get drafted. And the ones that we think that will get drafted over the final six rounds of the draft from Jair Brown to uh, Juice Scruggs to Brenton Strange to Parker Washington to Mitchell Tinsley to P.J. Mustafer. There are also a series of guys out there that are possible free agents. 
you know, maybe they sneak into the end of the draft, but and, you know, but I think in all likelihood people are looking at them as pretty good idea to be a free agent. And it, you know, look, and that's not so bad. Being drafted does have a status to it. There's no question about that. The one advantage you do have as a free agent, if you get to round seven, is you now have multiple teams negotiating for your services. So that does help. So we get to, obviously, prime number one, and that is Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford obviously was here six years. Everybody knows it. It has been well documented. The State College Spikes are even going to have a retirement party for him on July 11th, which includes a bobblehead. And Sean Clifford rolled with it, ended up quarterbacking a Cotton Bowl winning team, ended up quarterbacking a Rose Bowl winning team. When Jack Ham and I went to practice the Friday before the Rose Bowl, and it's raining. <laughs> James Franklin looks over at us and says, Hey, guys, come to Southern California. Enjoy the sunshine. And we're like, ah. <laughs> but we're watching Sean go through practice. And it's bang, 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 bang. Like deep ball. Oh, right there. And Jack looked over at me and he said, Steve, do you feel like, just looking at him, do you feel like he's throwing the ball harder? And I said, yeah. I said, he really does. It looks like he's got a lot more zip on it. And not only a lot more zip, but even the deep ball had a little something to it as well and was accurate. And he played, obviously, an outstanding Rose Bowl. He was the game's offensive MVP. He then did well in the All-Star Games. Pro Day, he was okay. He wasn't great on Pro Day, but he was okay. But let's start with the base here. Sean Clifford knows how to play, and that's important. And he, he, he knows what he's looking for. You put the whiteboard there and you diagram something on the whiteboard, he is going to be able to take you through what everybody is supposed to do on the whiteboard and the counters to what a defense will do. He can do that. It's a question of him being able to, quote, deliver the goods on the field. When you look at his numbers, the complaint that the fans are going to have overall about Sean will be, I think, you know, if if I'm going to, I hope I have this right, in terms of what the fans think. They think that in key spots he threw too many interceptions. 100%. All right. So now let's take a look at what he's done. Let's transition back to July and August. And what did I say on the show back in July and August? That Sean needed to get his completion percentage up to 65%, and he needed to have a 3-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio, correct? Just to confirm, that is what I said consistently all summer about him. And he ended up hitting 64.4% for the season. He threw 24 touchdowns and 7 interceptions. Okay. And remember, one of those interceptions was in the opening game, and it was run back, yes, for a touchdown that put Purdue in front. And was interesting coming out of that game, 
in a game where Sean Clifford directed a game-winning drive and a touchdown pass to Kevon Lee to win it, 35-31, I felt like the entire week all we heard about was the interception. And it was a night where I think he threw four touchdown passes, if I recall correctly. Exactly right. Plus, he had the brilliant two-minute drive at the end of the first half, which first half. started to yeah. t- turn the tide a little bit, too. No question. And he did all of that. Right? But everybody talked about the interception because it was run back. And I understand that. It was one of those, oh, here we go again moments. But let's take Sean Clifford and the full body of work. The one year that is the one where you sit back and go, ugh, is 2020, the pandemic year. No fans in the stands, the whole thing. He threw 16 touchdowns and nine interceptions. I mean, and you're talking about he threw nine interceptions in nine games. He started eight of them. And that's a problem. And a lot of those nine interceptions, by the way, were in the first five games when Penn State started 0-5. And then he didn't start the Iowa and he didn't start the Iowa game, so they were 0 4 with him as the starter. He didn't start the Iowa game. Will came off the bench, played pretty well against Nebraska. Then he started against Iowa. Then Sean came off the bench in that game. And then the, down the stretch, I think Sean threw five or six touchdown passes and only one interception down the stretch, something like that. But let's take the other three seasons. The other three seasons: 19, 21, and 22. He threw 68 touchdown passes and threw a total of 22 interceptions. That's 3 to 1. Okay? 68 touchdown passes and 22 interceptions. All right? And it's not going to be comparable to the nine interceptions that total that C.J. Stroud threw in two years. I mean, nobody is saying that. And again, we're talking about a guy that is in all likelihood on the pathway to being a, a free agent, not drafted, as opposed to a first-round pick in Will Levis. There's a lot of, you know, okay? And we know what Will has done. But, you know, Will has thrown in two years... At Kentucky, he ended up throwing 43 touchdown passes, but 23 interceptions. He threw one more interception in two years that Sean threw in three. He knows how to play. And if you're looking for a guy that's going to be on your practice squad, looking for a guy that's going to be your third quarterback, he is a guy that whether it's the seventh round or in free agency, you have to consider. I didn't say first round, second, third. I didn't, you know, the second, third through seventh round. You know, I'm saying um, and this is uh, something to at least look at. I'm not saying he's He's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, he's got this cannon or anything like that. But you know what? You're always looking for that extra quarterback, that third guy, 
that can step in, and there are enough third guys that have to step in, right? And that's what you're looking for, and I think he's worthy of a chance, whether it's in the seventh round or as a free agent, to take a long look at. The next guy, uh, uh, Jake Penninger is going to get into a into a camp. And the key for Jake, yes, you know he can kick off. He shows he's got the distance. He can get it you know, halfway into the end zone, if not further. He can do that part. But he needs. We all know he needs consistency on field goals. No getting around it. He can find consistency. Okay, that'll be important for him. But the other guy I want to talk about on the free agency front that I think nobody would talk about. And that's Chris Stahl. In this league, nobody ever talks about the long snapper until the long snapper makes a mistake. So let's go back. uh, Opening game, regular season, Cincinnati and the Steelers. And in that opening game, the Bengals lose their long snapper. And Evan McPherson can't make any plays. The ball's slow getting back. The, the, the snaps aren't right. It throws the entire operation off. That's just an example. Remember what it was Judson? Trey Judson, I think it was? It had to fill in at long snapper for the Giants in the playoff game a few years ago against the 49ers, and it cost them on, on what would have been a game-winning playoff victory. Cost them. Because, again, he wasn't the regular long snapper. Long snappers are invaluable. That's why last year somebody asked Bill Belichick in a press conference about the long snapper, and he gave a 20-minute answer about the importance of it. So now let's transition to Chris Stahl. Chris Stahl, what's he missed in three years? Which one did he miss? And when you watch the holds on placements, whether it's an extra point or a field goal, how much did Jordan Stout or Barney Amore as a holder have to move to get the ball? You know, how many times you ever hear Jack and myself say, high snap? No. The ball was there, and not only there, but they keep, you know, all the time in practice, there's always time, time. You know, how many, how many split seconds to get the ball back? You know, something bank, you know, point whatever seconds to get the ball back and how critical it is the entire operation. He does that. One of the values, there's a lot of values to, to doing the quarterback club for me. And one of the value, part of the value of the quarterback club is getting a chance to talk with all the players, not just about themselves, but maybe about their craft as well as to how they go about it. And there was one this past year where it was Chris Stahl and Barney Amore was there. And we're talking about long snappers and punters. And, of course, Barney was also holding on placements, too. But Barney was talking about that as a punter, as a right-footed punter, he needs the ball to be on his right leg almost to his right hip. And he's explaining this to the crowd. It was fascinating. And how accurate Chris is with putting the ball right where he needs it. He won the Patrick Manley Award as the top long snapper in college football. And 
they don't just sit there and go, okay, let's look at the nominees, send us your best 20, and we'll, you know, we'll go from there. No. James Franklin told me that when the manly people got a hold of Penn State, they wanted every single snap that he had had that year. All of them. And, they, they, and Penn State was like, you want all of them? It says, yes, we literally look at every single one of them. You have to be kidding me. Well, in looking at every single snap he had during the course of the year, along with the other finalists, Chris was determined to be the best. Is he going to be drafted? No. But I'm telling you, he's going to get into a camp. And remember in the NFL, where you're not allowed to line up, you are not allowed to line up on the center. Chris does do enough to get himself downfield, to down a ball, and he, you know, and can he make some tackles? Sure. But I'm telling you, he's going to get himself into a camp, and the value of that spot is something that you can't put a price on. Because the second we notice it is because something got fouled up. It got fouled up in the Bengals-Steelers game. Steelers won the game. It got fouled up in that playoff game years ago between the Giants and the 49ers, and the 49ers advanced and not the Giants. And if you're a long snapper in the, in the NFL, you have a long, long career. Steve Diossi, okay, out of Boston College, linebacker, but could snap, and he kept him in the league for double digits. Jim Peterzak, yeah, he was a backup defensive tackle, but he was in the league 14 years, most of it with the Saints, because he could snap it. Penn State's Greg Truitt was with the Bengals for years. Because that's all that's all he did at Penn State. He only snapped it. John Condo, Phillipsburg Osceola here in Center County, ended up going to the University of Maryland and was the Raiders snapper, and I think a little bit with the Cowboys at the end, but was the Raiders snapper for years because it is such a specialized skill that if you are among the best, the NFL needs it. They need you to be great at it because they can ill afford to have a problem in the operation. And there's 45 spots, but one of them is always reserved for a snapper. And Chris, I think somebody's going to sign him, and I'm telling you, he has a shot to actually make a team as a snapper. He's got a shot. And if the team that's looking for one, aching for one, or maybe you want to put them on the practice squad initially because you've got one and you're just worried you may, you know, a guy may get hurt during the course of the year, sure. But he's going to get somewhere because of that specialized skill. He's going to get there because of that specialized skill. And you just look back on what he's done the last few years. Which one did he miss? He didn't. We'll wrap it up in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay, uh, very quickly, let's uh, look Ross Dellinger SI.com writing about the college football playoff meetings going on. And they've got to discuss what ESPN want to do about the, the television part of it. The way that they're looking at this right now with the 12 team playoff is that the opening round would be the third week of December. 
with one game on a Friday night and three on Saturday. But it's also the same weekend the NFL is playing three regular season Saturday games. The quarterfinals are going to be scheduled around New Year's Day. They'll play one on New Year's Eve, and they're going to play three on New Year's Day. That will not be impacted by the NFL at all. The semifinals are scheduled for about a week later. But again, it's also NFL Wild Card Weekend, so they're talking about maybe playing the semifinals on a Thursday or a Friday. And then the championship game will be pushed back to a Monday. And that's what they're looking at. The question is what do they want to do with the TV part of it. Uh, the last two years, it's it's ESPN's baby. Um, and you're talking about 11 games that they would have to televise. They say two additional years of expansion are valued at an extra $450 million, according to the contract. They think that by then opening it up in 2026 and go to a full, all-out media rights market, that they can triple that number. And let's face it, you're, you know, there is a strong possibility you can triple it. This is It's football, and that makes a big difference. They're also talking about instead of week zero, you play week one and maybe sliding the entire regular season schedule up. That way conference championship games would actually be you know, Thanksgiving weekend. We'll see. I don't know if they're going to do that or not. I think that's a very smart idea. We'll see. We'll see if that's what they want to do. I also think they've got to change the... I mean, I don't know. You have to... You have to then consider what do you do with the recruiting calendar because right in the middle of all this, and I know the teams are in the college football playoff now have to deal with the early signing period. I know that. Uh, Tony Petiti, the new Big Ten commissioner who doesn't start till next month, actually was at the meetings in Dallas this week. So, just something to think about. And another good job by Ross Dellinger. He and Heather Denich and Nicole Auerbach have been among the best at covering the CFP meetings over the years.